Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, all safer at home, which means Claire Zauke. Our healthcare director is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Hey, Matt. Good morning, everyone. Yes, definitely good morning. The rain has stopped, and it's going to be uh, sunny. Uh, and uh, as always, we have the sunny and always positive Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, it's good to have you. Uh, good to be here. I hope it's going to be sunny. Alexa didn't think so. I hope she's wrong. <laughs> Maybe not today, but this weekend's supposed to be nice, and I'm sure people could use it. It's been weather-wise a little bit of a rough few weeks here. We're not uh, a weather podcast. We are the Battleground Wisconsin, and we're really glad you took the time to join us. We have a lot of things we're, we're going to talk about, and obviously uh, the coronavirus uh, continues to dominate uh, sort of the political scene and, and just generally people's lives. Um, and so we want to spend some time uh, today talking about the latest updates, particularly as it relates to the state of Wisconsin and coronavirus. Um, we're also going to later in the show be joined by a reporter from Up North News who's going to talk to us about what's been happening in the meat and food processing plants, uh, particularly in Brown County. But we'll talk a little bit more broadly about that. Uh, we also have to talk about elections. Uh, the special election is still on in uh, uh, Congressional District 7, and our uh, member, Trisha Zunker, is running. And that race, uh, we want to spend some time talking about and talking about trying to move towards uh, more vote-from-home uh, methods and the opportunities uh, that municipalities have. But I um, want to get the show started by talking about the latest here. Um, we record on Thursday morning, and it's sort of been a, a weekly update now for the last six weeks because um, the unemployment numbers come out Thursday morning, and it's sort of kind of a, not a perfect, but uh, a certain measure of the economic health. And we are now uh, over 30 million uh, folks have uh, filed, successfully filed for unemployment. Um, over the last six uh, six weeks, and it was again, it was uh, I think 3.84 million last week, um, and this is continues among reports, uh, both here in Wisconsin, but also in other places, of still struggles to even folks to even successfully apply. So um, it is not fair to say that we've seen the end of it. But uh, before I get some updates from the panel, uh, President Trump yesterday did announce that he wants to end social distancing, and it just uh, continues to be sort of a surreal world where he projects that we're going to be back to normal in three months, and he's going to be having large campaign rallies, and it just, it's surreal. While here in Wisconsin, last week, we, on, you know, we had the big protests, and um, Governor Evers continues to strongly support his safer at home order, but it is under a lawsuit. And the big news this week is uh, we are now a part of that. And Robert, I'd like to kick it to you. Um, this is, this is huge. Uh, the ability for uh, Evers to ability, his ability to continue to have the safer at home, uh, or if the Supreme court, our state Supreme court will step in and actually say the legislature has a role. Um, this, this, uh, this is critical. 
Can you please give us an update, first of all, about the likelihood of Evers being able to successfully uh, defend this, given the composition of our state Supreme Court? I think the listeners need to understand. Uh, they certainly already understand that this is very dangerous, that it'll cost lives, and it will be bad for the economy. You, you, you can force people back and say they can't have unemployment insurance, which is what's happening in places like Iowa. If you don't go back, if your company opens up, then you're just quitting, right? You can say all that. Uh, it's going to harm the economy. People will not work if they fear for their lives, and uh, and we'll we'll have huge outbreaks. That's very clear because we're no long nowhere near what we need to be at, which is basically a one to one replacement where each uh, infected person only infects one other people person. Uh, we're well above that. The whole country is. And uh, it, 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 and it's exponential once you're above that in terms of it going. And so we'd have to close the economy again and we'd lose all the benefits economically. So this idea it's the economy versus public health is ridiculous. But what they need to understand, the listeners, is this is a much, much weaker case in terms of the law than the case around the election. There was no clear statute that gave the governor the ability to delay or cancel an election. There is very clear statute in Wisconsin and most other states. It has been used before, including in the pandemic. There is a huge amount of case law on it, U.S. Supreme Court, other state Supreme Courts. It is a, an executive function because legislatures can't act in a public health crisis. And it was anticipated this is something the executive branch needs to do. And there are a number of different amicus briefs. We're part of one of them. Uh, and help support the case a little bit. A lot of people pitched in, and uh, there are a lot. There are amicus briefs from some of the top legal scholars in Wisconsin that are devastating legally. So uh, about the precedent, about everything else, and about how this is a destruction of separation of powers, where the legislature, which has the ability to pass a different law or to challenge what Walker is doing, I mean, not Walker Ever, excuse me, is doing legislatively, uh, is choosing not to do so. And so the only question here, Matt, really, is whether or not uh, this, this state Supreme Court is so bad that will, it will ignore all precedent, conservative and liberal courts, even very conservative courts 50, 75 years ago, uh, to do this. Claire, your thoughts on potential of this uh, holding up in uh, the Supreme Court? I'm hopeful. Um, I, I believe uh, that Robert. Uh, arguments are sound. Um, of course, it's always um, hard to predict how judges will uh, rule, um, especially as um, we will discuss a little bit later. Um, you know, sometimes justices um, on the U.S. Supreme Court, as well as on local courts here in Wisconsin, will make decisions that seem more political than legal. Um, but but in this case, it seems like we are just so clearly in the right um, and that the governor and that DHS uh, secretary designee Palm are just so clearly in the right um, that, that I'm really, I'm really hopeful that the judges will, will do the right thing here, not just by the law, but by people's safety. And, and I, and not being a legal scholar, I don't have too much more to add, but uh, it's, it's really easy to get uh, down and, and sometimes feel like things are just like we can't have nice things. Things aren't going to be good, especially when we've been in in lockdown or in quarantine for um, a month and a half. 
so I think it's important to be to be positive and to be optimistic when it seems like there's a good chance that things will work out. And that's what I'm doing. I think it's very interesting. I've read several of the amicus briefs. There are a number of them. Uh, we can provide a link, I believe, because Governor Evers' uh, press release has links to all the amicus briefs that came out yesterday. And so you see a lot of legal scholars. You see a lot of cities stepping up. You know, not only the Milwaukee's and Madison's, but the Eau Claire's, the La Crosse's, the Racine, cities of Racine, a number of others, uh, Ottagamy County, for example, uh, but some deafening silence among some, some areas of the state. You have, you know, the Wisconsin Nurses Association, you have the Wisconsin Primary Health Association, you have other, uh, the Public Health Association, uh, and the Wisconsin Academy of uh, Pediatrics, so a number what you do not see at all, and you see a number of labor unions, a number of nonprofits like us, Frontera, Block, a number of others that are on the same amicus brief. Uh, but what you do not see is the Wisconsin Hospital Association. You do not see uh, the Wisconsin Medical Society. You do not see the giant business interests. You do not see Wisconsin Manufacturing Commerce, any of the business associations. And so I think there's a tendency on our part to simply make Robin Voss king of the state and because he is the visible person, him and Scott Fitzgerald. There is a whole establishment behind them that wouldn't exist without them that pull many of the strings that he can't do anything not to offend. And they're trying to have it both ways. They're not out there saying, oh, we don't need this. But they're there. These are their people. Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. That, you know, they, they've created Scott Walker and they created this right wing legislature. They've bankrolled it and they get away with being responsible corporate leaders in communities across the state. Well, how responsible is this? Robert, I'm glad you mentioned that because they're the power brokers that are actually we talked about them last week when we had Mark Thompson on. Right. These are the same folks who are behind the amendments. Right. To try and protect themselves. And they they're taking advantage of a crisis, right? It, it's it's it's. Uh, and what it's about what about the hospitals who claim to be great nonprofits who claim that we'll be overwhelmed if there's an outbreak? And how about the doctors? You have individual specialists and individual primary care docs weighing in. Medical society. It's because they act like a corporate lobbying interest that's on the side of Republicans. People need to know that. And with that, we have got to take a break with the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We're talking about the latest state of play here in Wisconsin as it relates to uh, Governor Evers' stay-at-home orders uh, and, you know, the efforts by Republicans and their allies uh, to to strip his ability uh, to actually have those orders and actually give the legislature power. Now, Robert, I, I, in Claire, w- one thing that I think is important for people to understand, and Robert, you mentioned some of the briefs that have been filed, but it's pretty clear, it seems, that this is the power, you know, protecting the public health and that uh, that what has how it has played out is the way it is intended legally to play out. And it seems to me like it's really a question of whether this court is going to actually change the law, really, or change 
fundamentally changed the interpretation and put the legislature in charge of determining how to respond to a public health, which, by the way, just seems crazy to me that you would you would even want to structure something like that. And but is remember, that a they, reading of the situation? Yes. Remember, and it's a reading of whether they're even judges, given the overwhelming legal precedent here and the absurdity of the argument. Uh, because, quite frankly, they already tilted the balance and the separation of powers to the legislature because it was the Republican legislature asking. None of us think that. And, and we asked Jill Karofsky. She didn't think they would have done the same in the lame duck session if it was a if they were doing it to a Republican governor with the Democratic legislature. So what are they going to do with precedent when it's the other way around in, say, 10 years? And they're, if they're still there and they still rigged the Supreme Court, right? Are they now going to say that the governor has all the power and change? That's what we're talking about here. It, it, it'll call into question whether these folks are real judges. And Claire, uh, to you, 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 you mentioned this. You sort of um, set it up in your initial comments about other things happening on the Supreme Court. And it, you know, this is part of uh, why I think people lack confidence in this court to render fair judgment. But uh, uh, this week, uh, Justice Kelly who just lost, obviously, his election, uh, has said it, it looks like he's going to unrecuse himself in what is one of the most critical and important high-profile voter file purge cases uh, uh, out there. Um, so I, I assume this obviously plays a role. You were referencing that. I want to get your thoughts on that. And obviously, this connects to the public confidence and their ability to you know, protect the public health with this um, with this, uh, with this decision. Yeah, this is uh, Dan Kelly deciding to unrecuse himself from the voter purge case after he lost an election is uh, just so clearly a um, political act. Um, I mean, to, you know, temporarily recusing yourself while an election is ongoing and then having that election end doesn't mean that the conflict of interest ended, right? Because you're still going to, especially if you lose, right, you're still going to have feelings about, um, you know, who did and didn't vote and who did and didn't vote for you. Um, and, and all of that exists beyond uh, the, the the election date. Um, and con that's sort of, sort of conflicts cannot um cannot remove emotions and whatnot from them, right? Um, so I, I I think this is a very clear signal um, that it is, well, one, it's obviously really good that we are replacing Justice Kelly soon because he cannot handle himself appropriately. Um, and, and two, um, this is yet another signal um, that Justices are, are human beings, and they're not above the law. They're not completely, as much as we would like them to be, we cannot guarantee that all of our justices are completely um, sort of unbiased, um, you know, purveyors of the law. Uh, they, they, are, they are humans who have their own biases, and sometimes they fail to recognize those biases. And this is a, a very clear example of Justice, Justice Kelly doing that. Robert, I'd like to get your thoughts. Well, he's a lame duck justice. So regardless of the problem is we have very weak recusal laws where it's up to them. So it's hard to understand why he would think that 
uh, if he was going to go and vote to purge the voter 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 rolls, that this was uh, that this would help the legitimacy of the decision, given that he has just lost re-election. He was appointed. He's never been elected. Right. And he lost pretty darn resoundingly for an incumbent. Incumbents don't generally lose this way. And so you'd think general decency would 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 drive him not to engage in this unless he was acting as what we know he is, a politician. And Jill Karofsky effectively tagged him as in her ads. I did, Matt, you know, I believe in politifacting, right? Make a real-time correction. I found the Medical Society did sign on to a letter, so they are for stay-to-home, but I can't find the hospitals. So we're waiting. Maybe the ho- someone knows the hospital association can ask us, but let me make sure I get the Medical Association off the hook from my uh, previous rant, Matt. Well, that's, that's good to know. It's, it's encouraging <laughs> because obviously a lot of times they are not where they need to be on these issues, as we uh, talked about last week. So, Robert, before we uh, wrap this segment up, I know you had some some more thoughts around uh, the coronavirus, uh, broadly speaking, here in the state. Well, we need to think also very broadly here that we have a situation where no state in the United States is doing enough because the federal government is derelict in its duties in a national emergency. It's even in federal law. It's the federal government that's responsible this week, we again got a alleged blueprint for getting testing up to scale, and it says it's on the states, basically, and we have uh, Trump and Pence standing up there just lying through their teeth about how te- what testing is and it's what's going to be. And folks, I think we understand, this audience understands, that you need very large-scale testing. I mean, at an order of magnitude of 10 times what we're doing. In order to find where all the virus is and isolate it, you need a large workforce to contact trace. Now, the governor has wants to hire a thousand people. That's great. We probably need to, we probably need more than that. Okay, and he's not been given enough money by the legislature, but uh, Governor Evers is trying, and is not the worst state this way at all because of him. We would be if he wasn't governor and Scott Walker had won that reelection. Uh, and then you have to be able to isolate where the cases are. Have, and that have medical surveillance where you know whenever there's an outbreak anywhere, nursing home, meatpacking plant, which we're going to talk about later, you name it, and in order to immediately isolate it, that's the only way you can safely open the economy before there's a vaccine. And we're just not doing it. Places like Germany are. And Germany opened up and partially is closing because they have a system set up. And so the problem we have is, it's a two-front war for Governor Evers, or for, for example, he has to fight the virus, and he has to fight this legislature and the huge corporate and right interests behind it. And they're, he can't, they're trying to overturn his stay at home, and they've gone home and not giving them the resources to do what's necessary to open the economy, but they're demanding an unsafe opening of the economy with no plan. They're claiming that uh, they should be responsible. Where's the plan? So... They've provided no counter plan to Evers. They're just attacking his plan. They've decided to do that because they're acting in a cynical political way during a national crisis. And if people like war metaphors, this is World War II. There'd be a, there'd be a word for this. It would be called a traitor. Before we had to break, I do want to uh, transition and make sure we remind our listeners uh, who are listening that there is, unfortunately, in all of this crazy uh, situation, uh, we're going to force people to go, uh, go vote again uh, on May May 12th uh, in a special election. 
uh, up in what's essentially north central and northwestern Wisconsin in the seventh uh, congressional district. It is a very large district that it's Wausau in the center and then runs up the state north all the way up into the Superior Bayfield area. Um, but we are unfortunately going to have an election on May 12th, and our member Trisha Zunker is running, and um, we want to make sure people vote for her and vote early. So please uh, go and request your absentee ballot today if you have not done that. It is very important. And by the way, this actually is a good message for anyone. You can go online and you auto order get your state your absentee ballots uh, for the whole year. Um, there's a very good chance that like this is going to continue to be a problem throughout the year. And by the way, it's an excellent, safe way uh, for folks to uh, vote. And we'll talk more about this in the future. We think this crisis is, uh, you know, one of the it's a great opportunity to try to relook at how we uh, implement elections and uh, to have a deeper discussion about what are the best practices uh, for conducting elections that prioritize and center people's ability to vote in increasing the amount of people that are able to access elections. Um, so we'll talk more about that, um, but we've got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we, and by the way, we want to make sure everybody knows if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Please follow us. Uh, but we're going to take a break and we'll be right back again. We're Citizen Action. You can find us also at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Um, we are really excited that we have a, a, a special guest with us, and that is Jonathan Sadowski. He is a reporter with Up North News. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're, we're glad you could join us to talk about this really important issue that you've been writing about, and that is what is going on in our meatpacking plants, um, particularly a couple up in Brown County. Could you please uh, just give us the top lines uh, about what you've been reporting uh, this week uh, around this issue? Yeah, so this is something that we're seeing is uh, having a really big effect nationally on the food packing or the meat processing industry and really food plants kind of across the country. And in Brown County, there are uh, three meat plants where this has really been a, a, a severely localized issue. So there's JBS and American Foods Group and Psalm Partners. Uh, now, uh, JBS, they are, you know, a massive corporation. They have 1,200 workers in Green Bay, but uh, they've got, you know, thousands more across the country. So they have, uh, they're closing in on 300 employees that have tested positive in Green Bay alone for coronavirus. And um, American Foods Group is closing in on 200 employees. I do not know how many employees they have in Green Bay. And Psalm Partners, they have about 600 employees. Uh, they are in the village of Denmark. And they, as of yesterday, I believe it was 35 was the current number of employees that have tested positive there. So JBS is temporarily closed. Uh, American Foods Group and Salt Partners continue to operate. And the Brown County Health Department, which could come in and close them down, uh, has not at this point. Um, I don't know how uh, President Donald Trump signing the defense or 
signing the executive order to force meatpacking plants to remain open under the Defense Production Act. I don't know how that's going to affect JBS in terms of reopening or not. Um, but as you can see at JBS, it's like a quarter of the employees are infected and they've stopped testing now that they're closed. So it, you know, probably there are more. Uh, there's a good chance, but we just don't know and we won't know because they evidently have no plans to continue testing. So I think that's kind of where we're at in Brown County. And we're hearing more and more from workers across the state um, that this is happening really everywhere. But Brown County is definitely the epicenter of this issue in Wisconsin. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for being with us. Um, this is part of a bigger national question with coronavirus. We have these hot spots and dense areas or areas of, of highly, um, uh, you know, uh, people who are susceptible. So nursing homes, meatpacking plants, and prisons, right? And the problem is that these infect whole communities. There's all sorts of stuff about what's going on in Iowa, for example, where a whole community to be infected by one meatpacking plant, and the companies are taking no responsibility. And so, and they're not changing the, the way they do business, which is people very densely packed in, they're very narrow hallways, very narrow when they have lunch breaks. And it's, it's, a, it's a very immigrant-heavy workforce, so it's exploited workers. These are hardworking folks, but they live in the community, so we should care about them. But then, of course, they infect other people, and it gets out to the community. And so you can't really control the coronavirus without controlling these areas. And the problem with Donald Trump's order is, it has no safety standards whatsoever. In fact, and for the first time in since OSHA was created and the CDC was created, their guidelines aren't mandatory. They're suggestions. And Trump's order actually uh, says they, you cannot impose them. Local officials cannot impose them. States could because his order is he gets rid of essentially any federal restriction. So it would have to come at the state level. And we've seen already that Governor Evers has not yet stepped up. He needs to. He said it's up to, the, the, to OSHA and the feds to, to enforce labor standards. They're not going to do it in the Trump administration. So this is a danger to these workers. A lot of them are unionized UFCW members. UFCW did a great job of calling for this and talking about what a, what a disaster this is and reversal in uh, labor law since the 1970s, which has gotten more and more, more better and better as far as safety. And so this is an unbelievable situation. We have it right here in Brown County, and you found a very lackluster local response. And what do you find from the uh, company taking responsibility for? Because the workers need to have PPE. They need to be safely spaced. They need to have testing So because there's a lot of asymptomatic people. Right. So in GBS, uh, they were testing employees. Um, as far as I know, it was not mandatory. But uh, now that they closed, they've so uh, they also won't tell me how many they have uh, actually tested. So, um, you know, they may have tested all 1,200 and uh, 260 or 270, whatever the number is. Yeah, but you got to retest, positive. right? You got to retest so, and they can, and now they can all reopen is the problem. Right. And Brown County is being very, I guess, cagey about whether they feel that JBS should finish testing the employees before they reopen. And you saw this happen in Colorado. Uh, they had a plant where there were 6,000 workers and there are 
uh, as of yesterday, there were 245 of them were infected with coronavirus. Five had died so far. As far as we know, in Brown County, none of the employees of these plants have died yet. But in Colorado, they said that before they did close down temporarily, and they said before we reopen, we're going to test all of our employees. They reopened. They have not tested all the employees. So um, if that pattern, or if that becomes a pattern, I should say, um, we should expect that in Brown County as well, where they will not test all the rest of the workers, however many there are who need to be tested still, um, before they end up reopening. Now, some partners, they did voluntary testing. They incentivized it. Actually, they offered an extra hour's pay um, to employees if they wanted to get tested. So they had tested, uh, I believe, 346 employees there and 35 so far have uh, been positive. And American Foods Group, I have had no luck um, from the spokespeople there hearing anything back. So uh, that that's a complete mystery to me. Uh, basically, we're just uh, relying on what the county is reporting out, which, uh, you know, they're closing in on 200. And, and you're being very nice about this. There's no way to control a pandemic with this level of uncertainty. This has to be very clear that we ha- that we shut that we deal with hotspots. And by the way, people should be willing to go out without pork for a while if they want to save their families from a deadly virus. I mean, that's it, it, it's unbelievable that we have a federal administration that's decided the one is more important than the other. That's something where uh, actually Governor Evers, whereas it's not clear if the state's going to step in at this point, you know, he has been pretty. Uh, forceful in terms of, yeah, we want all these employees to get tested. Um, He did say uh, the other day, hell yes, that's a concern about the whole thing, which, you know, for him is quite strong language. Um, (laughs) But uh, so there is some pressure coming from the state, but it's not clear if that's had any effect yet or if it will have any effect because, um, you know, now obviously you have Trump's executive order kind of throwing a wrench in things and we'll we'll just see how this is all going to play out as it develops and more likely than not we are going to see a continued rise in cases at these plants and we're going to see it continue throughout the state uh Vosas de la Frontera uh, advocacy group in Milwaukee they just had a press conference yesterday with some workers from JBS and American Foods Group and then they also um, brought in someone from uh, Echo Lake in Burlington in Racine County, who said that they're, you know, it's kind of starting there. There's certain things beginning that are of concern there. So this is something where we're going to have to keep following it and see what these companies are doing for their workers, what the local health departments are doing to protect the residents. I think that you touched, and we can talk more about this after the break, because I know we only have about a minute left um, in this segment, but I think you touched upon something, Jonathan, um, that is really important that we haven't talked about yet, which is um, that this is yet another example about how this pandemic and um, the sort of poor response by some government officials and even more so by private industry is um is disproportionately affecting um, people of color, and in this case, specifically um, Latinx and Spanish-speaking folks, 
um, and low wage uh, workers. Um, and 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 more broadly, this pandemic bringing to bear um, and and shedding light on how our society views um, some folks as as disposable or less worthy of attention. Um, and, and I think that's something that we should dig into a little bit um, after break. Yeah, I'd be happy to. We're going to take a quick break. We'll get uh, Jonathan's thoughts right after uh, these messages. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin, we're Citizen Action. We're joined by Jonathan Sadowski from Up North News. And before the break, Claire had just uh, raised the very significant issue that um, we're seeing a lot of uh, Latinx workers in these plants. And we've seen in general with this COVID crisis that uh, there seems to be an attitude that some folks are more disposable than others and the lack of concern around a, res- a proper response to the, this uh, this situation in Brown County and in, in the country reflects that. Jonathan, your your comments and thoughts. Yeah, that, and that's something that I reported on um, last week. We're in Milwaukee County. Um, we know that it's disproportionately affecting the Black community. Um, like two thirds of the deaths in Milwaukee County um, are Black residents. Um, uh, also, a very high number of cases. I think it's around uh, you know sixty percent. And that's something where in Brown County, we don't know. Uh, the county health department is not tracking uh, the ethnicity uh, of the people who are infected with coronavirus. Um, they say that they're more focused on community spread. Um, but fact of the matter is over half of the counties, uh, now about a thousand cases are employees in these plants. And they're also tracking how many cases are linked to these employees. So that would be family members or friends or whoever they're in contact with. And uh, that's also, um, I think, around uh, 150 to 175 cases in total from these plants. So it, it's something where pretty safe to say, if you looked at the numbers, uh, we do know that meatpacking is disproportionately Latino. Um, so this is something that would probably be disproportionately affecting the Latino residents in Brown County, but we have no proof of it because the county is not tracking that. Whereas, you know, where you look at Milwaukee County, it has really helped highlight some of the disparities um, that have been around for years and years. And if nothing's done about it, will continue to be around. So that's something where, uh, like Vosas de la Frontera, how they've been helping out a lot of the workers in these plants, they're saying, yeah, we need to uh, really look into this and so we can see where vulnerable people need help because these are not problems that are just going to go away after the pandemic, but the, they are problems that are made so much worse by the pandemic. This is always the case, but it's even more in a pandemic. Uh, this idea that there are some people who are disposable, right, which is strategic racism and implicit bias that that's exploited in our community to allow us to get, say, labor standards really low so a big pork company can make more money, right? That's what's going on here. Uh, that that uh, hurts the individual, so it's immoral on its own sake from a human standpoint because all human beings have value. We were supposed to have known that for 200 years, but... We still have a whole 
we have a whole lot of exploitation going on. But in a pandemic, I think this is true all the time. It always hurts the whole community. It's clear how it hates hurts the whole community. If you allow a major infection source, a prison, uh, other people we think deserve less rights in our society or part of our society does, uh, a, or uh, in a nursing home protecting those low-wage workers, often women of color, caregivers, right? And in this case, a, a not entirely, but a, a predominantly Latino workforce, then it's going to infect the whole community. It's been very well documented around the country in places like Waterloo, Iowa, uh, in places like uh, Sioux City, Iowa, that the plant ends up infecting the whole community and the local officials can't keep up with it. And so they have the opposite problem in Iowa. Like in Waterloo, Blackhawk County, the local officials are doing heroic things. They can't get any help from the governor, who's a right-wing Republican governor, and in addition, Kim Reynolds. And then on top of that, uh, they have the president weighing in on that side uh, and simply being on the side of exploit these people, we need pork, which is unbelievable. And so this is a threat to all of Brown County, all of the state of Wisconsin, and it's also unethical because it, 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 it's based on, on, on racism. Yeah, and this is where I looked at state data yesterday from last year in terms of how many are employed in the meatpacking or food processing industries in Wisconsin, and it's about 90,000. So you think about these plants where they've got, um, you know, probably 500 to 1,000 workers, um, typically, like you see in Brown County, those are 500 sources of infection in every community where these where these plants are. And I think what you're seeing is that people are very, very concerned that um, if this is left unchecked, that not only will this, like you were saying, uh, affect the uh, low wage workers, the vulnerable populations, but it'll just continue to spread. And obviously that is the opposite of what everyone wants to happen right now. Um, you know, everyone's sick of staying at home. Um, I know I am, but that's something where the, the state, uh, local officials, uh, reporters, everyone has been really reinforcing where if we don't flatten the curve, it's not going to work out well for us in the near future. And that's something where the, as the, these meat processing plants or food processing plants uh, continue to be sources of outbreak, um, you know, who knows what could be next. Claire, one final Yeah, I, I think you hit upon something really important there, right, which is, you know, as we had, an, we discussed earlier in the podcast, um, you know, there's a, there's a lawsuit going on right now about whether or not we should, quote unquote, reopen the state, which basically means if, if we should lift the safer at home order. And and that's it, really mind boggling to me because all you have to do um, to look at what would happen if we were to do that is to is to look at sort of the microcosm that is, um, you know, Brown County and specifically that is the um, the spread of the virus within the meatpacking community in Brown County, um, because that is that is like a microcosm of our whole economy. If people go back to being in close quarters with each other, whether it's in restaurants or in work. Um, we there's going to be sustained spread, and not just within that workplace, but ultimately within that community. Um, and we can't afford to have that happen um, in our whole state. 
Um, and and so this, to me, what's happening is there's just a very clear example of why it would be so tremendously dangerous for us to to not stay the course of safer at home, um, setting aside just how critically important it is to to value every single life as needing to be saved and and to prioritize, um, you know, you know, quashing this outbreak um, in Brown County. Yeah, it's a very clear example to me. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, Governor Evers, he actually addressed the calls to reopen specific regions, right? Um, like <laughs> counties, I, I think there are what, two, five counties maybe? Um, I can't think off the top of my head, but a few counties don't have any cases yet in Wisconsin. But if we were to take a, a regional approach to reopening, um, we've seen all it takes is one person traveling to a hotspot and coming back where that would would or could um, really create an outbreak where there is not one, which is why people like uh, Governor Evers, uh, DHS Secretary designee Andrea Palm, uh, Dr. Ryan Westergaard, uh, all of them who speak multiple times a week uh, about this issue, they really keep hammering home uh, we can't take a, a regional approach to this because uh, it's not like people don't travel from Milwaukee or don't travel from Brown County to the more rural areas. Yeah, we don't have the testing to know there are no cases in these areas. So that's the other thing. Right. So this is like no, no, no confirmed cases, not no cases. Well, look, I think this a lot of this, it rots from the top. We don't have a national strategy. We don't have a coherent you know, uh, approach to this. And this virus does not know borders. It certainly doesn't know county borders. It doesn't know state borders. Um, and so uh, it's, it, it's it, I think it's problematic uh, of what we're seeing at the top. But um, J Jonathan, before you go, just one final comment. I am just completely awed or struck by how awful the response of the Brown County Health Department is. Is, is, is there public pressure like growing in that? I mean, it just seems like this approach, the, the, their response is outrageously inept. And this notion that somehow they're looking for countywide spread when they've got literally a half occurring here is appallingly, um, it will just seems terrible. Just before you go, final thoughts on, on that situation and potential pressure there. Yeah, in terms of the whole focus on community spread, that was one thing that uh, another reporter had asked about a few days ago in their daily briefing. Um, you know, if, if you're really thinking that this is community spread, why aren't we seeing this uh, literally everywhere? You know, why, why is Brown County, why have you gone from like 200 cases uh, like two weeks ago to now about a thousand? Um, you know, what makes Brown County residents so susceptible to community spread? And uh, frankly, there wasn't uh, really a clear answer. Um, the health official who gives the daily briefings just uh, said something to the effect of, it, you know, it, it just takes one or two people. Yeah. And uh, yes, that is true. But uh, when we see it with such a high concentration in here, that's where uh, I am hoping that, uh, you know, reporters and the public and um, officials at the state level uh, we'll continue to try to really try to protect these workers and protect the greater community because it's this isn't something that's just going to go away and especially not if these plants uh, you know continue to operate. 
Thank you, Jonathan, for reporting and covering this story. It's critically important. For folks who don't know, Green Bay is now the second. It has this had the second highest daily growth over the last uh, two and a half days. So a uh, real issue right. in your in reporting. An excellent, yeah, in the nation, right, just to uh, point out. Uh, and this is the level of response. And really appreciate, Jonathan, your reporting to help bring this to light. And I think there needs to be continued public pressure on this. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Again, Up North News. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. And with that, we've got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin podcast. Again, folks, uh, request your absentee ballots, whether you're voting on uh, May 12th election or this fall Let's get them ordered. With that, we're going to wrap up this Battleground podcast again. Thank you, Jonathan Sadowski, for joining us. And thank you, Brian Wildridge, for making this podcast happen every week. We'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.